Uh, Shelton, it's good to worship with you. This is first Sunday of Advent that we get to celebrate together. Uh, Advent can easily be summarized by two words, remembering and yearning. Remembering Christ's first coming and anticipating his glorious return for the second time. He's going to come back and make all things right. And we are living right in the smack in between the two worlds. Christ has come, as Mark said, and he will come again. This is the very promise of God that we hold on to. We have this hope, and yet we live in a weary world filled with darkness. That will be the very theme that we will be exploring uh, throughout the month of December, this uh, in Advent season. We will take a break from the book of Mark, and we'll do this mini-series in the book of Isaiah, talking about how we can find hope in the midst of, of all the darkness and midst of all the weariness. See, how do you find hope, Chelton? Where do you go for hope? It's so easy to put all our hope in circumstantial hope. I find myself, and you find yourself saying, oh, once this busy season passes, I think I'll finally be able to rest. Once something comes to pass, I'll be okay. But what if, well, if you lived long enough, you know that's not quite how it works out. Once you take care of the busy stuff, whatever you consider to be secondary now rise to the top. You have to take care of that, and it just keeps going and going and going. And there's no rest in your deep down in your heart. Or sometimes we try to find justification, find hope of who we are uh, by just working hard. If only I work harder, then I will be okay. If only I work hard, then I'll be somebody, I'll be okay. Oh, sometimes when I find myself constantly overworking nonstop, I come to realize that it's because I'm desperately trying to cover up my desperate sense of inadequacy. There's something deep within me, I'm inadequate. I constantly have to overwork to make up for all my inadequacy. If only I work harder, then I'll be okay. So you worked really hard all year. But what if you're still not okay? What if you still feel inadequate? There's deep sense of weariness within you. Where is hope in all that? Now, don't let me be a Debbie Downer. Perhaps some of you had wonderful Thanksgiving. So I don't want to impose weariness upon you today, Shelton. So you say, oh, man, I had a wonderful time. Man. Whoa. What's a, what a Debbie Donner to start a new series. Yes, you might have the greatest time, but also if you really examine yourself deep down, though, throughout the year, throughout the time, there's a sense of heaviness and weariness that is all over the world. And let's be honest, children. let's not just blame the world saying hope for the weary world as if weariness is just out there. It's not just hope for the weary world, but it's hope for the weary souls. In a sense, I feel like sometimes church is the collection of a bunch of weary souls who come together, oh, I just need a sense of fuel to keep going because my life is such hard. Where is hope in all this darkness we are facing today? And that's what we are going to talk about through the book of Isaiah. May the Lord truly bless our time as you dive in together. And if you are carrying the enormous heaviness in your heart, no matter what circumstance you are walking through, 
I don't have a living word for you, Chilton, but I really believe the word of God does. May the true meaning of Christmas, how it pierced through the darkness with hope, how Jesus Christ has come, I pray that it will rekindle a little bit of hope in your heart. Since this is the first week that we'll be diving into Isaiah, let me give you a very brief background about what this book of Isaiah is about. This book is written, I mean, everyone debates about it, and nobody knows for sure, probably approximately sometime between 740 B.C. and maybe 680, sometime around that time. Uh, Isaiah was prophesying against Israel. The Israelites, God told them to hey, love God and love neighbors, extend justice and God's righteousness to all people. But they were just going about their own things. They were offering empty sacrifices, extending all kinds of injustices, People of Judah turned their back against God. So here, Isaiah is prophesying against them, but not like, you are terrible, doomsday is coming, you have no hope. No, even in the coming judgment, as Isaiah is prophesying, he's prophesying in hope, in hope that they will return, in hope that they will repent from their wickedness and come back to the Lord. And this book of Isaiah, I don't think I'm exaggerating by saying this is perhaps the most comprehensive prophecy about coming Christ. I mean, there's prophecy about virgin birth, first coming, second coming of Christ, suffering of Christ. This is the book to go to if you want to find hope in the Old Testament. And this showed such a great juxtaposition. There is the old Jerusalem and the new Jerusalem that is to come. All the Jerusalem people are doing their own thing, wickedness, rebellion, injustices. But in the new Jerusalem, our Lord and Savior will make all things right. And we are stuck right in between of that. So hope that we are talking about is a borrowed strength from the future. Hope is not just an expectation about the future, but it's a borrowed strength from that is to come. New Jerusalem, all things will be right. And yet we are also stuck in the old Jerusalem, wickedness and rebellion. So there is the weariness that comes alongside Israel. So hope for the weary world we live in between old Jerusalem and new Jerusalem. That's what we are going to talk about today. So three things that we are going to learn from Isaiah chapter 8 and 9 specific that we are going to talk about today. There will be three realities. First, we will learn about the reality of darkness. It's a real deal. It's a dark world. I just realized the weather is somewhat dark too. Perfect setting. Works out great too. The reality of darkness we live in. And yes, secondly, we'll talk about the hope of a light. The light is going to come through, pierce through all darkness And lastly, we will examine the source of our true hope and true joy that this light brings, the source of our hope and joy. So first, let's examine through our text today given to us the reality of darkness that we live in. When you look at chapter 8, great idea to keep the word open because I'm going to walk through that text. We see Israelites here running into a bunch of problems. We did not read earlier chapters in the chapter 8, earlier section. But in this section, chapter 8, they are waiting for Messiah. Someone who is going to come and deliver them from all kinds of darkness. Especially Messiah will deliver them from this Assyrian kingdom they've been oppressed under. So they are looking for all kinds of Messiah, Savior, and hope. And yet they are looking for the Messiah in completely wrong place. 
Verse 19, see what it says. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Here, when Isaiah tells us the mediums and spiritists, they are the intellectual of those days. Yet not just regular intellectuals, but the intellectual who consult the dead, who has some sort of mysterious connection with what is dead. So here, medium refers to ghost, the one who knows the ghost, who talks to ghost. Spiritist is the one who knows the spirit dark world. And Isaiah is saying, hey, you want the light, you want the hope, then why are you looking for the dead to find the hope? Ancient saints are sought out to help the living from the dead. So all these people thought, oh, perhaps we need to go to the dead to find the hope. And Isaiah is saying, nonsense. Why are you consulting the what is dead? You are only consulting darkness about the light. Darkness doesn't know what light is all about. So verse 20, Isaiah says, consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. Isaiah has been telling them here there's coming judgment of God because of your rebellion. Repent and come back to the Lord. That's the way of the life. There is hope. There is the light. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Uh, they are not listening Isaiah's prophecy against coming judgment. They are still consulting the wicked, consulting the dead for hope. How oxymoron is that? It's as oxymoron as, hey, let me examine how good and loving Satan is. It, it doesn't work. Satan, the accuser, doesn't have anything to loving and the kindness and goodness. Satan's bad. That's what they are known for. But let me consult Satan about what good is all about. They don't know that. And here they are trying to find this Messiah and hope among the dead. And they find none. Of course, you cannot find light in dark. You cannot find light from darkness. If you want to find light, you got to go to the light, not to the darkness. So they are only digging a deeper hole within themselves. Verse 21 and 22, distressed and hungry, they roam through the land. 22, then they look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. You see, the Israelites, they are crushed under all kinds of social, psychological problems, plunging into famine. Yet only they are going for the dead, consulting the dead, mediums and spiritists for hope. There's no hope in that. See, Chelton, it's easy to say, what were they thinking? Don't they know better? Why are they consulting dead for the living? There's no hope in that. Even though those pagans might have done it, there's no hope in that. We need to consult the living for the living. We got to consult hope for the hope. But they're going through all the darkness to find hope. And yet, if you are really honest about yourself, don't just think of them as like, oh, those Israelites just didn't know better. Believe it or not, when we look at Old Testament, we say, oh, Adam and Eve, why did they take the fruit, forbidden fruit? Oh, I would have never done that. Oh, why are they consulting dead? I would never do that. Well, let's talk about it. Weary souls often tended to have this great self-absorption. Weary souls tended to look further into their weary soul. It only has an aggregate effect, the self-absorbing tornado. Once you are weary, you get more and more and more and more dark and dark and dark, and it sucks you in until you reach the breaking point sometimes. 
often to the degree that you're isolated, you don't want to walk any further, right? You're more afraid to step out. So you get more and more isolated, more and more lonely. You get busy. So should you slow down? We say it, but once you're busy, what do we do? Oh, no, we are so busy, so we must have so much things to do, so we better make ourselves busier, get this taken care of, this thing, so then we can relax. No way. Once you take care of this thing, another thing pops up. We only make ourselves busier. We plunge ourselves further into trials like that. When suffering comes, when the darkness comes in your life, how do you react? Sometimes we don't know how to deal with the darkness and suffering in our lives, church. So rather than dealing with it, we either avoid it, we are in denial of it. What is this all about? Or sometimes we are suffering more than it needed to be because we are so shocked that this actually happened. Meaning it's not the suffering itself that suffers you. The fact that it happened, the unexpectancy, denial of it that causes you to suffer even more. We suck ourselves into far deeper trial because that's how darkness and the trial and the hardship tend to affect in our weary soul. It only sucks you into darkness. Where is hope in that? And that's what Israelites are doing, right? They see the darkness and gloom. They're going further into darkness, medium, and spiritist to find hope. No, they're only going through their spiral and going dark and dark and dark. What about you? What do you do when things get so tough? When things get hard, church, how do you react for your weary souls? Let me ask you a question. You might wonder, why are you asking me that? Well, but think about it. What are your besetting sins, church? When I say besetting sins, it's like certain sin that you struggle the most. But you know yourself, it's like, oh, yeah, and I tend to struggle with this a lot. What is that? Think about it. Because in the moment of your weariness, the besetting sins often arise to the top. And whatever that's the, your temper tantrum, you just feel like you just have to blow up to make yourself better. It might give you a momentary relief, but a rather permanent regret. There is no hope in that. Uh, perhaps it's whatever the besetting sin is, we tend to just go there to cope. But there is no hope. It only plunges you further into greater darkness. That's the trap that we often fall into whether it be lustful thoughts and behavior. You think there is hope in that? You would think that will satisfy you? No, it will only gravitate you further into darkness. You think it's just blowing up? Uh, when I was ministering in Dallas and Princeton, especially I worked with a lot of young adults and graduate students, I've seen a lot of young adults, men and women, who date very, someone who date, treat them very, very poorly. But they somehow ended up going back to another, poor, another person who treats them very poorly, as if that will make any difference. Have you seen that? Have you done that? Is there hope in that? As if, man, if only I have this somebody, now everything will be better. Somehow we have appetite and craving for further darkness for our cure. But it will not medicate you. It will only numb you and eventually kill you in the darkness. It's dark, isn't it? As Israelites are plunging themselves into further darkness, that's often our default too. We tend to plunge ourselves in deeper darkness. Jen, I thought this sermon series about hope for the weary world, not weary soul for the weary world. You are just taking us to deep down. But that's the reality. But guess what? Let's turn the corner. 
See how chapter 9 begins. Million-dollar word. I love that word. How does it begin after all the darkness and gloom? Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. That's the great reversal. All we have felt, all we have done caused us to plunge ourselves further into darkness. But nevertheless, what happened? Verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Charlton, does the scripture say those people who are walking in darkness have generated their light? Those who are living in the deep darkness somehow created a fire for the light. No. What happened? It was something happened to them. A light has come. Light has dawned while they were plunging deeper into darkness. But the light of the world has come to bring them out of darkness. That is the essential core message of Christmas. We are only plunging further ourselves into darkness, but somehow, someway, light of the world has come to pierce through the darkness, just like we just have sung, the last song. In the darkness, we are waiting without hope, without light, till from heaven you came running, there was mercy in your eyes. That is the very message of Christmas, that we were running in darkness, but the Lord has come. The light of the world has come. You know, why is this so encouraging to me? Because sometimes you say, oh, Jin, are you saying there's nothing I can do to bring ourselves from darkness? That rubs me in a wrong way. I can do this. Well, try it. Go as hard as you can. That will not work. Because I find myself constantly plunging in further. But why is it hope to me that it's, this light has nothing to do with what I've done? If this light is something that I generated a fire, then I must work hard to find hope today. I better pull myself up by bootstrap. I better work hard. I better overwork nonstop to cover my inadequacy. But if this is something that God has done while we are only plunging in further into darkness, I can rest today. And you know what that brings us? I don't know what walks of life you are coming from today in Shelton. To God, let me say carefully but boldly, the degree of your darkness does not become hindrance for him to pierce through light. Perhaps you are walking through deep darkness of your sin and failure, remorse, and guilt. Even last night, even yesterday, even last week, Thanksgiving, what a wonderful time. Maybe you fought with your family the whole time. I don't know what your last week was. But the degree of your darkness doesn't matter because it's not you who need to come out of this black hole to generate light. If it's the you who bring light, then it will matter. But when you're plunging only in darkness, God brought us light. That is the very message of the Christmas. And what happened? Verse 3, what's the result of that light? You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy, and they rejoice before you. As people rejoice at the harvest, warriors rejoice. Just like the song lyric says, the weary world rejoices. The famous Christmas carol, O Holy Night. The people of God who are in darkness now, because the light has come, there result in them the great joy, the great reversal nevertheless has come. 
20th century Swiss theologian Karl Barth once said, In the face of distress, Christian joy proclaimed a defiant nevertheless. In the face of distress, Christian joy proclaimed a defiant nevertheless. Christian joy doesn't disappear in the face of distress, but it rebelled against the darkness and distress. It's defiant because we know that the light of the world has come to cast out all darkness. It's resilient hope that brings this bubbling joy, defiant joy within you. Just like the light that pierced through darkness, Christian joy pierced through all kinds of hopelessness. Do you have this kind of joy in you? What does it teach you today? It's by God, because of God, through God, we can have this glorious light that brings hope and joy in our lives. That is the very source of our hope and joy today, children. It's not you. Try hard. If I get on my soapbox, I try not to, but I will. I don't like motivational speech. They say, you can do this, do that. I've tried. But I find myself failing again. I try to all muscle up my willpower, but I always fail. If Christian Christmas is all about what I must do, oh, then I quit because I've tried already and I always fail, find myself coming short. But it's because our God has come. God has pierced through the darkness. We can have hope. And Isaiah here doubles down on that. What I mean by that, what is the true source of our hope and joy that the light brings? Lastly, look verse 4 and 5. What does it say? For as in the day of Midian's defeat, this is a reference to how God has delivered Israelites from darkness through Gideon. But God wanted to make sure that Israel didn't say, hey, it is us who fought the battle and won victorious. God commands Israel, Gideon, to send back all the armies. God single-handedly defeats all the Midianites. In other words, it's the work of God that gave them victory. Verse 5, every warrior's boots used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for fire. What God is saying, you know, it's not the warrior's boots and the armor and the battle gear that saved you. It is me who delivers you. It is I who fight for you. You can burn them all. It's my power that will come to save you. Our hope, our great joy is the great reversal of nevertheless come from God through God, because of God. That is our hope today. And how does the climax? Verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Does it say to us a son is earned, a son is deserved? No way. It is actually given for us. If Christmas is, as I said, a beautiful story about what must I do, it's not beautiful. It's just an inspiring story about self-help. And it just does not work that way. It just becomes another motivational speech. But our God is not just born, but born to us to bring us hope. If Christmas really happened, that Jesus was born to us today, church, if the child is born to us, if he lived for us, died for us, then we can have this hope because it is not us who pull us out from darkness, but God who brings us into that light. And who is this God? Isaiah keeps going to say, he's a wonderful counselor. That means this child born in Bethlehem is the source of ultimate wisdom. He's your counselor. He's your guidance. Don't you want that counselor or truly who can counsel you the right way? 
I don't know what your Thanksgiving was like. I got really sick on Thanksgiving. <laughs> I thought I had a cold. It wasn't cold, actually. I had a pretty bad stomachache. No worries. You might say, Jin, because you ate too much. No, it's before I was eating. I got so sick, but what do you do when you get sick? You kind of, what is this? You Google it. You Google to find out. If you Google any of your sickness, they tell you die within 24 hours. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, I need to go to ER right now. I'm panicking. I, I'm not a medical expert. I don't know what to do. I don't have this wonderful counselor who can tell me what this is all about. And then I realized, like, one of my actually closest friends from high school is an ER doctor practicing last 15 years. So I texted, hey, happy Thanksgiving, Joseph. Hey, I'm having this, this, this. Is it appendicitis? What's happening to me? I don't know what to do. And he's like, just take Pepto and Tylenol. You'll be okay. <laughs> and I'm like, well, here's Drama Quinn. Well, thanks, Google. You thought I thought I was going to... But the fact that the expert who knows all things, who knows to tell me, you'll be okay. Maybe it was placebo. I thought I was immediately better. <laughs> it's so comforting. But that wonderful counsel, not only your physical thing, all who knows, ordained all your days of your life, is there to guide each step of the way. That's our Savior who has come. And he's also mighty God. He's the mighty conqueror who does not just help you, who's not just a therapist, but will conquer its path of the way, who will conquer every evil on your behalf. He will always be on your side to fight the battle for you. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting Father. Don't be confused. God the Father, that's not what we're talking about. But Jesus is the Father to every born of Him. When we believe in Him, He is our Father forever and evermore. Perhaps this is most comforting to you, especially those of you who miss the Father figure in this Thanksgiving and Christmas season. Perhaps this is a deeply personal issue for you that every time we talk about Father, you have irk reaction, but you never had that. But our Father will be a, who, one who cares for you, never forsake you. And He is our Prince of Peace. That means He's the one who will bring ultimate shalom and peace to all our weary soul and weary heart. There will be no more dark night of our soul. But this is not just a talking about weary souls, but he is prince of peace for the weary world. It is talking of full economic, spiritual, and physical flourishing. He's not just deal with your problem internally, but to make all things new again, especially when he comes back once again. Everything will be great. What does verse 7 say? Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. God will accomplish this. God has begun this. God has accomplished this. How are you, church? All that to say. Do you clearly see that all we are doing is plunging ourselves further in darkness like Israelites were? They did not generate light. It was God who brought the light. And the climax, apex of the light is that for to us, to me and to you, a child is born. His wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. That is our hope. I don't know where you are. Some of you are here as well. For, I would say, that's right, past the 12 years, every Thanksgiving Eve, or the Sunday before, I've always attended Thanksgiving service. One of my favorite services. And for the past 12 years, it never failed me. 
Yes, people thank God for the joyous things and incredible things that God has done, but I'm constantly and never cease to be amazed while people's tears are often deep suffering, whether it's a physical diagnosis of terrible illness, whether it's a complete so darkness and weariness that people have gone through. I'm like, I keep thinking, every time I hear those testimonies, they thank God. Even in their difficult time, they see the hope, this light that the God brings. They have this borrowed strength from future, knowing that all will be well. God is still good. It never ceases to amaze me. And this year, as I was sitting and hearing a bunch of testimonies, I was thinking, you know, what about the, if people in the world hear this? This would not make sense to me. I'm not going to thank myself for all the hard times. That would be nonsense. And I realized this hope that we have should be perplexing to the world. Because even in darkness, we have this hope that one day light will pierce through all things. I was amazed at how God works despite, not only despite, but even through hardship that you're walking through. Uh, there is hope for the weary world and the weary soul. I think I felt that such a potent way this year. Many of you know I spent my time in Kenya in October. When I went, I, I don't mean to say like there was scale and suffering because we all walked through hard times. But when I spent time in those children's home, I saw a lot of children. If they are at the children's home in such young age in Kenya, they have seen great traumas already. They've seen darkest of dark you can imagine. But the main primary feelings and thought I had actually weren't pity. At all. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry they went through such a hard time. That wasn't my primary thought at all, actually. It didn't cross that much. But primary thought and feeling I had, I was a little actually envious. I was like, what? And are you envious of their suffering? No, no, that's not what I mean. Despite all they have been through in such a young age, there's such bubbling joy in them. That even I'm a Christian, even I know the Lord, it was so perplexing initially. I'm like, how? And I've seen a lot of cliche pictures, but I've seen reality what they are going through. There was a bubbling joy that caused me almost regretful because I had that in childhood. Somehow, whatever happened in my life, I was so joyful and bubbly. But somehow, as I get older and older, I become more and more and more weary. Weary is just get added upon me, upon me, and upon me. And they've seen far worse than what I've seen. Darkness is reality. Yet there was as if they really seemed to have defiant joy of nevertheless. I felt it. And it was deeply meaningful to me. They seemed to have this kind of unquenching hope. They live in a weary world, but they have this unquenching hope. Do you know, I come to realize Why? They know that they could not have rescued themselves up. They know that there are loving people who cared for them to rescue them from their darkness. They know they are indebted to this grace. So they have this bubbling joy. Hey, I've been in darkness, but this light came through to rescue me in my dark state. And the communal life and the bubbling joy I felt, I'm like, I am convicted. I want what you have. Children, do you have that within you today? We all have this weariness, inadequacy within our soul that must marry this old Jerusalem, must marry new Jerusalem, hope. Because if you only have this hope and aspiration without realizing your inadequacy, you will be the biggest motivational speaker. You can do it. You can make it. Pull yourself up by bootstrap. Uh, but that's just, you're arrogant. 
You think you can do it? No, you can't. I mean, yes, I would love to. Yes, you can in the way of the Lord. But if you only know your inadequacy without knowing the hope of God, that will be a soul-crushing burden on you every day. You know how inadequate you are, but there's no hope to pull yourself up. But Charlton, do you know that in your darkness, God has come through to bring you this glorious light in you? That will cause you this calm tranquility of your heart that results in joy. After all I have been through, I realized about this time of the year, this is a time that I tend to review all my journal for the year, all that God has done ups and downs of my life. It's been a good year, a hard year, all that together. And then I came across, actually, my journal that I wrote five years ago. Uh, Psalm 90 has been such a dear psalm, one of my favorite psalms in the entire Psalter for many, many years. This psalm talks about how God is eternal. He's the everlasting God. And he talks about how temporal mankind is. All we got is 70 and 80 years. So it talks about eternality of God and temporality of mankind. But in the end, it kind of psalmist goes on by saying, so after examining God's eternality, our temporality, psalmist says, so teach me to number my days so that I may gain heart of wisdom. That was my year verse. That's right, God, I want to maximize my life for the glory of you. That was my year verse five years ago that I carried it deep in my heart. I must have read this some hundred times, but it never really stood out until this year. After Psalmist says, teach me to number my days so that I may gain heart of wisdom, a few verses later, Psalmist goes on by saying this, Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Oh, that pierced through my soul. I've been saying, God, help me number my days so that my, I may gain heart of wisdom. I'm going to do it. I can do this. I can live for you. But I'm weary. I'm dark. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. When was the last time that I got up in the morning being satisfied by God's love? Do I wake up in the morning and say, Hallelujah, God, you are good to me? Well, I wish I can say that. But often I wake up, okay, let me check myself. These are to-do lists. These are emails I need to write. Sometimes I wake up thinking these are all things I must do to accomplish my life. I wake up with a drivenness for my glory, my to-do list, or paralyzing anxiety. As in, oh, there's so much weariness, I don't even want to get up. Why is that? Because I'm thinking of my own darkness, my own weariness, my own merit to overcome the darkness. But as Sama says, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our lives. That joy is possible for all who believe in Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because our God has come. This mighty warrior has come as a helpless child on this Christmas. And to us, we say, yes, God casts out darkness. Praise be to God. Do you know how is that possible? When that helpless child grows up, Soon he goes to the cross as a helpless man. And on sixth and ninth hour, darkness fell upon the earth. And our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who came on this Christmas, plunged deep in cosmic darkness to absorb our darkness. Because he descended into darkness through his descension, he has brought us this glorious light that cast out the darkness. 
Shalom, He is our hope. It is by Him, through Him, and because of Him that we can hope and we can take heart today. What is the hope for the weary world? What is the hope for your weary soul? Look to Christ. There is no hope. Don't stop plunging further into darkness as if there is hope. There is hope in Christ, born, lived, crucified, and resurrected. So in this Christmas, let us look to him for our hope each day, each morning. I don't know what darkness you are going through today, but more than you look at your weary soul, I pray that you look at your wonderful counselor and mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, for us, unto us, a child is born, and his name is Jesus. Let me pray for us. Oh God, that mediums and spiritists, that those dead that they were consulting, I often feel like that's me. I'm only consulting what is dead as if there's hope in my own ability, as if there's hope in what if and if only whatever things that we dream about. If only I have this much power, promotion, money, health, everything will be okay. No. It's just a momentary relief. It does not quench my eternal thirst for hope. So God, make us realize that, make us realize our inadequacy today. But help us to never just to stop there. Help us to marry that with this glorious hope we have in Jesus Christ. God, it is you who brought us light. I could not generate the light. But I feel like that's what I'm doing every day, trying to generate my light. Rather than looking to you who brought us light. God, I think and understand that there are a lot of weary souls in our gathering. God, I pray that we will embrace this reality of light that you have brought to us. And may in Christ alone we find hope today. Uh, May all of us look to Christ, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to you. We look and find strength each day of each life so that we may tell others there is hope There's joy in Christ alone. In this Christmas, O Lord, make us not the people of God who are so self-absorbed in our own weariness, but help us to be the people of God who declare this glorious hope to all over the world that our Christ has come to pierce, cast out darkness. So, Lord, we look to you today for hope and light and joy. In your precious name we pray. Amen.